The title of my message this morning is uh, Being a Christian in a World of Chaos. When you uh, watch the news, how many of you really feel your spirit rise? It's just so edifying to see what's going on out there. And to know that that's the world that we live in. You know, some words that that I was looking at to describe what's going on, I'll share a few with you. A world filled with false gods, idols everywhere, people worshiping almost anything and everything. A world where nice-sounding philosophies abound, whether they're based in truth or not doesn't seem to matter. Religions becoming more and more corrupted. Some are blatantly false. Others are deceptively subtle in the false doctrines that they're teaching. Sexual immorality abounds, fornication, sexual activity everywhere, homosexuality, adultery, pedophiles, same-sex marriage, divorce, infanticide, we call it abortion, idolatry. There's this humongous disparity of wealth and no one seems to care about the poor, so our government tries to take the place of the church. Self-gratification is the mantra. If it feels good, do it. Hector with everything else. Entertainment is becoming one of those idols and gods in our life. It's almost impossible for anybody under 40 not to be continually entertained by their phone or iPad at the very least, and all of the other entertainment that abounds. Rejection of God's truth, hatred, persecution of Christians. Sound familiar? How in the world do we live in a world like that? Well, I I trust it doesn't surprise you, but what I just described to you was the world that Jesus was born into. That was the world that he came into earth to set man free. That's the world. That's the description of that we call the Roman Empire. But that was the, the Romans. There were three main philosophies, three main powers, really. And the, Rome was primarily number one. But there was the, the governmental policies of Rome and all that they represented and all the debauchery of Rome. It was unbelievable. The Greek philosophers of the day, all that Greek mindset, all their Greek idols, Greek gods, all the astronomy, all that garbage. And then there was the Hebrew nation. And we'd like to think that the Hebrew nation was at least following their God and doing their rituals, but they weren't. A majority of them had fallen into the same traps of sensuality and perversion that the rest of the world had. Now the good news is, in the fullness of time, God decided to send Jesus to earth. And it was... In some sense, there were some good things. There was relative peace at that time because Rome was the power that bees, and they had built a system of roads that made it easy to travel so the gospel could be traveling around and all these nice roads and cities, and and all of that was a good thing. There was, because of relative peace, they could go from country to country, so there were some good things. But the world Jesus was born in was ugly. Ugly. Leaders were corrupt and perverted. So one of the questions that I ask, I think about, and I know a lot of you ask and think about is, how do we as Christians 
live in the kind of world we're living in and make a difference. You ever feel overwhelmed when you look at the world? And it was declared up at a meeting I went to, and Glenn and Karen were there, and one of the brothers simply declared this, we live in Rome. And what we need to do is look at what Jesus did when he came into that type of world and culture. Can't you just see Jesus confronting all of the evil with his sign and marching and saying, don't do this, don't do that, don't do this, let's overthrow the government. You know, this government, Rome is corrupt, let's overthrow Caesar. How many of you remember reading about that in your scriptures? Didn't exist, did it? Jesus came on a mission. He came on a mission to redeem mankind. He came on a mission to set us free of sin and death. He came on a mission to be the Savior of the world. And as I mentioned last week, part of his mission then also was to recruit those who would believe in his truth to come and do the same thing and carry on his mission after he left the earth. And carrying on that mission should be our focus, should be our mission. Now, you might be called to do some types of things in particular areas, and that's great. But we are all called to carry on the mission that Jesus came to earth. We can't save anybody. That was all him. But he says, we're supposed to go and do what he did. When Jesus came into the world, it was super ugly. He didn't live in fear. I think so much of the church, so many of us at times, are so paralyzed by fear, we get our eyes off of Christ and onto the things of the world. And we just get consumed with all these things in the world. And it's easy to do. I mean, if I sit and watch the news for a whole week, man, I'm, in, I'm not in very good shape. The things of the world, what are we going to do? What do we do with where it's headed? What do we do with our economy? What do we do with the evil that's abounding? What do we do? What do we do? What do we do? And, and you know, fear settles in or a sense that the problem's too big. We can't do anything. I'm going to just hope, as I live quietly in southwest Minnesota, all the bad stuff just goes around us. And I'm going to watch and hopefully do the best I can to take care of my family. We, come, we, we take on a survivalist mentality that is absolutely not God. He didn't call us to be survivors. He called us to be those that are going to go out and change the world. And our world might be kind of small right here in southwest Minnesota. And he might call us some out like he's calling Paul and whoever chooses to go to Mexico. He might call us to go to the ends of the earth. But at the very least, he's called us and planted us right here in southwest Minnesota. And we should be doing what he's told us to do. And as we do that, because of the authority and the power that he's given us, things will change. The atmosphere will change. The environment will change. Jesus kept his eyes on the mission. A scripture that most people are familiar with if they ever went to church in Sunday school is John 3.16. And I'm going to read that, but I'm going to go a little bit further than just verse 16. We know that God came into the world to break the power of sin and death to save the world. This scripture makes it clear, for God so loved the world, the world, that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Mission. But verse 17 says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world 
through Him, through what He did on the cross, through the resurrection. Verse 18, it's probably not up there, says, whoever believes in Him is not condemned. That should be all of us. We are not condemned. Our sins are removed as far as the east is from the west. We're never going to be accused of them again. Never. But whoever doesn't believe stands condemned already because he's not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. This is the world that we live in. It was the world Jesus was born in. Jesus is saying this at the time when he was on earth. They loved the darkness. The world loves the darkness. And the reality is it's pretty attractive to a lot of believers. There are things in the world that are darkness that are attractive probably to every single one of us in here. And if we get our focus off of Christ, off of our mission, that darkness will suck you in. The good news is we have a light that cannot be extinguished. But we need to be aware of the world and all that's taking place around us and be careful as we live in it. How did Jesus do this? How did he, how did he live his life in the midst of all of this garbage? His teaching, obviously. There's never been a teacher like him before or since. His teaching, the way he lived his life, a life of sinlessness, a life holy and righteous. An example, and it all culminated in his death and resurrection. But along the way, part of the way he lived his life was miraculous. It was supernatural. It was miracles, signs, and wonders. Jesus was the master at signs and wonders, raising the dead, healing the sick. The miracles that he performed in John 2, 23, it says this, Now while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many people saw the miraculous signs he was doing and believed in his name. That is the primary purpose of the signs and wonders and the miracles that God performs. That people would believe he was and is who he said he was. That he was God in the flesh. And it led many to believe in his name. From his very first miracle, he turned some water into wine at a wedding feast to feeding the 5,000, the thousands that he fed miraculously to the casting out of demons. Now we see demons couldn't hardly stand to be near him. They'd come running to him, crying out, and he'd cast them out. The sick that he healed, all of these things, raising people from the dead, healing the infirm, the crippled, all of these things, so were so that he would believe they would believe in him believe in who he was to reveal his glory to reveal his character and by doing so as he says if you've seen me you've seen the father so this was jesus was on earth this is this is what he did in the midst of that evil evil culture that evil evil day that he was born into and according to the word the way i understand it we're called to do the same thing. That's part of our great commission. That's kind of the kind of church that I hope we all want to be a part of. The kind of church that is carrying on the mission and the authority and power of Jesus, doing what He tells us to do for, to reveal the glory, the character of the Father, to reveal Jesus. 
to confirm that the Word of God is true. Now, you've probably read these, but we're going to take the time and read four different scriptures that say similar things that apply to us. They're called the Great Commission, and you can read it in a number of places. First one I'm going to read is from Luke 24. Jesus is meeting with his disciples, and up to this point, they've not understood a lot of things he's told them. But now it says, he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. And he said to them, thus it is written that Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead on the third day, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending forth the promise of my Father upon you. But you are, stay in the, you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. So we see in the Gospel of Luke, he's telling them that you're going to go. You're going to go and you're going to proclaim the good news of the Gospel, but you're also going to need to wait in Jerusalem till the promise. That promise is the Holy Spirit. Till the promise comes upon you. For what reason? To receive power. In Mark chapter 16, it says to them, He says unto them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all of creation. He who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved, but he who disbelieves shall be condemned. These signs will accompany those who have believed. These signs will accompany those who believed. All who believe, these signs should accompany them. And he says, They will pick up, or excuse me, in my name they will cast out demons, they will speak with new tongues. They will pick up serpents, and if they drink any deadly poison, it won't hurt them. In other words, we will be protected from danger. And they will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. That's what those who believe in his name will do. In Matthew 28, it says, And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even till the end of the age. A couple of things I want us to just recognize in the commissioning in Matthew. All authority has been given to him. How come I always say all authority of Jesus has been given to us? Because the Scripture says, When we become children of God, we are joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Anything that Jesus has been given, we are joint heirs. Joint heirs means he doesn't get half and we get half. Joint heirs means we have it all the same. If you're joint heirs with someone and you own a house together, you both own the whole house. You don't draw a line down the middle. We are joint heirs with Jesus Christ. And in Matthew it says, I have been given all authority from the Father. And because I'm a joint heir with Jesus Christ, it has been given to us. We have an authority in Christ. It has nothing to do with my flesh and blood, nothing to do with my positive mental attitude. It has nothing to do with any of that. But it has to do with an authority that's been given to me as a believer because I am a child of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. And at the end of that section of Scripture in Matthew 28, it says, I am with you always, even to the end of all things. In other words, that Holy Spirit that lives and dwells in us, He says, I'm with you always. Until I come back, you don't need to worry, I'm with you. I've given you authority, and I'm there to back it up. 
Always. The Holy Spirit, the power, the authority that dwells in us, the living God that dwells in us. I'll never leave you. I'll never abandon you. I'm going to be with you always. And then in Acts chapter 1, starting at verse 4, and gathering them together, the disciples again, he says to them, don't leave Jerusalem. Wait for what the Father has promised, which he said, you've heard of it from me. For John baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Now, if anybody declares there's no such thing as a baptism of the Holy Spirit, they've got to just erase this from their Bibles. There is a baptism of the Holy Spirit. And he's telling him, wait there until you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, not many days from now. And it was about 10 days is all it was. So when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is this the time that you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he says to them, it's not for you to know the times or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the most remote parts of the earth. So we see in these different Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, the book of Acts, put them all together, there is really the great commission that we have been called to go and make disciples to the ends of the earth and especially where he has you planted right now. When is the last time you have allowed the Lord to use you to lead someone to Christ? When is the last time you've shared your faith with an individual or a group of individuals sharing the good news of the gospel message with someone? being the hands and feet of Jesus, being the lips of Jesus and speaking the gospel message and watching the Holy Spirit do a miraculous thing in taking someone who's dead and going to hell and bring them to life and going to heaven. When's the last time? If you can't remember, I want to encourage you. It's part of the Great Commission that we are commanded to carry out. Wouldn't it be a lot easier to do that if you walked up to someone and you saw them walking on crutches and they have a broken leg and you walk up and say, hey, can I pray for you? I know you're already out of your comfort zone. And you lay nail down and you pray for them and God heals that leg just like that and they throw the crutches away and they go running down the aisle of Walmart. And you catch up with them at the door and say, hey, do you want to know the person who just demonstrated his love for you, his power that's in him? Do you want to meet this person? How many of you think they'd say, nah, I'm I'm okay? We're supposed to walk in that power and authority that signs and wonders and miracles accompany us to confirm the word. Jesus, I mean, it says Jesus did many many signs and wonders and many people believed in him. You know what? How many of you know churches where that's taking place? There's not that many. And there should be. We should all be focused on being this kind of church. What's the response? They were telling them over and over, and each one of the Gospels reiterated, the book of Acts reiterated, says, you know what? You need power. The power of the Holy Spirit to carry on and continue my work. Jesus is saying, you know, I'm giving you a big job. You need the power and the authority to carry on my work. Power to live lives, first of all, to glorify God. I mean, that's number one. 
that power of the Holy Spirit living and dwelling in us to live lives that are attractive to the world. He provides that power to, to live lives that would bring glory and honor to him and, power, and the power and authority to do the works that Jesus did. And these works are not to impress anybody. They're not to, to say, wow, look at me. They're to point everybody to Jesus, to his word, to the gospel message. He says, salvation for all who believe. In John 14, verse 12, it says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me and the works that I drew, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do because I go to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, that's what I will do so that the, my Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. We can read those verses and if you're a little bit like me, you guys say, oh, really? Lord, I've been doing some of that and it isn't working so well. Therefore, I think I need to amend your scriptures just a little bit. Some of the things you'll do that I ask when you want to do them, if you're in a good mood, and I've been a good guy, and my confidence is really high, then we'll be okay. We think like that. You know, just because we want to as human beings with our natural mind try to understand and explain everything that God gives us commands to do, just because we do that doesn't mean we're right. Because we're not. So we need to take what we see as a straightforward, simple truth and decide, right now, am I going to believe it because it's the Word of God or am I going to make excuses for based on my experiences? Make excuses on the results I've seen. Or am I going to believe the Word of God? It's not our job to, to make excuses for God when things don't happen the way we think they should happen. It's not our job. I believe when he says, you're going to do the works that I do, and you're going to do greater works because I'm leaving. That means the Holy Spirit, he says, I'm going to go to the Father, and I'm going to ask the Father to send the promise, the one who's been promised, the one I've been talking about. I'm going to have him send the Holy Spirit, and he's going to live in and dwell in every one of you and go to, go to Jerusalem, but wait until the Holy Spirit falls on you in power in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And once that happened, it's like he's saying, there's no more excuses. You're to be the church. You're to be my missionaries wherever you're at to share the good news of the gospel, to lead people to Christ, to lay hands on the sick, to cast out demons, all these things. And he says, I'll protect you. Evil will not come upon you. I'm with you. I'll never leave you. I'm with you always. How many of us know churches like that? Go ahead. Raise your hand if you know one. I'm really embarrassed because we should know at least one. That's who we should be. That's who we should be. You know, we've tasted it a little bit. I think God's just saying, gee, come on. You get on board, step out in faith, and do what I tell you to do, and don't worry. It's all about him anyway. And I think that's the kind of church that we are called to be. We're called to be. I received a prophetic word a couple of weeks ago. I shared it with the elders. I asked them if they agreed what I think it means. And part of it was this. 
we're in the beginning of a primitive revival. And I asked them, I'll pray, what does that primitive mean? And it went on and said, and in this primitive revival, it's going to be in that primitive way that's not going to be traditional. And I'm thinking, okay. And a little bit further it went on, and talking about healing in particular and other things. And as I've been praying about that, and I asked the elders to pray, see if they agree. And I, are we in a primitive revival? If we are, what's that mean? And if we're in the beginning phase of a primitive revival, and that's where he's going to take us into this primitive revival, there was a part where there's going to be a path that's overgrown. And you need to go through that overgrown path. And I'm thinking something gets overgrown when it hasn't been used for a long time. Amen? I want a primitive revival. I want a primitive revival like the church in the book of Acts. That's the primitive revival. That primitive path is doing it the way they did it. The way they did church, the way they lived their lives, that would be a primitive revival. That would be a primitive path, and it certainly isn't the traditional path, the traditional church that we see today. And I said, okay, Lord, that sounds really cool. Glad you're with us because it makes me nervous. I shared this with a couple of people and with the elders, and one of the reasons it makes me nervous, and we're going to look at the primitive church in just a minute, because if we do what they did, we'll be okay. But here's why it makes me nervous. Healing, deliverance, intercessory prayer, salvations. I really like that last one. But the other three have the potential to get goofy as all get out. Seriously. Deliverance and healing and intercessory prayer, they have the potential to get really messy even when we're doing it the right way according to his leading. But it's really got the potential to get off the rails if we're not in the Word and if we're not being led by the Holy Spirit. So I'm expecting messy, but I want to be messy on the rails. I'm expecting him to do things that I think are nuts. As long as it's him doing them, it's my issue, not his. I'm expecting us to see manifestations of healing and deliverance that are going to just blow our mind. But that's okay, as long as we're on the rails. So my first thought was, what did that primitive church look like after the day of Pentecost came and the Holy Spirit came and baptized them in the Holy Spirit? Well, in Acts 2, 2, verse 42 through 47, this immediately followed the sermon that Peter gave, and thousands got saved, and it's like, oh my goodness, God, now we got a big church. What did they do? They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, first and foremost. They were being taught. They were being taught the word that had been given to them in the Old Testament, but they were also being taught what Jesus had taught them. We would now call it the New Testament. They were in the apostles' teaching, They were in fellowship, breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together, and they had all things in common. They began selling their property and possessions, were sharing them with all, as anyone might have a need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their numbers every day those who were being saved. 
They were devoted to the Word. They were devoted to fellowship. The kind of fellowship that develops real relationships. The kind of fellowship that allows for vulnerability, transparency, and accountability. The kind where you could walk up to me and say, Mike, I don't know, but I think you're crazy. We need to check this out and see what the Word says. We need those kinds of relationships. So when someone comes to you with what we want to call confrontation, we sense the love and the sincerity of their heart. And we're open to receive so that we can hold each other accountable. Keeping things on the rails. They were in fellowship, that kind of fellowship. It wasn't just a quick, hey, how you doing? How the kids? Great day. Let's go golfing. That's not all bad. But that's just surface. Signs and wonders. Now, if you read it carefully, you'll notice it said signs and wonders were being done by the apostles. I believe this is Mike, not the word being quoted. I believe the primary reason was the signs and wonders were being done by the apostles. At that moment, they were the only ones that had any experience. And they were being taught and demonstrated. Because in the commissioning it says, all who will believe will be doing. And you don't have to do a very intensive search of Scripture to discover there were signs and wonders in the Bible being done by those who weren't the 12 apostles. So that theory goes out the window real quickly with any study of Scripture whatsoever. And then they were serving and sharing and praying together. You know, we don't have to go sell everything and split it up. That's communism. That's not what we're going to do. But if there's a need, we are glad to do whatever it takes to help meet that need. I shared some of those things at the beginning of the service because we've got generous people. We've got generous hearts. It's an amazing thing. Amazing. Did I ever share with the congregation, I think I did, the offering for the Tim Daniels family when they were here? Did I share that with the congregation? There are not many of you nodding. Well, if you weren't here, they came and they speak. They started a ministry in North, North Minneapolis, and this congregation gave an offering of $8,000. Kind of cool, huh? They're still recovering. I got a card from them, and it said just this week, and it said, every time we think of victory in ballot, and all we do is smile. Why? Because of the generosity of the body of Christ doing what needs to be done. Biggest offering they've ever seen. Biggest one we've ever taken for visiting pastor or minister. Serving and sharing and prayer. Really praying. Mindy came up here last week and just said, you know, hey, there's an invitation. Two Thursdays a month, there's a group meets here in the church. And they've been doing this for... Three years? A long time. These are the, the hidden warriors that are bringing about the blessings and the presence of God in these churches, in our church services. A lot of work is being laid on Thursday night. This church, this primitive church, was in prayer. And God did amazing things. And I think one of the things that we can learn from this, at the very, very least, is we need to be built up corporately, like this early church, this primitive church was being built up. 
because they were living in the same culture that Jesus was living in. It was a mess. It's the same culture we're living in. We need this kind of primitive church. We need the Word. We need real fellowship. We need to see the signs and wonders. We need to be in prayer. And we need to be serving and meeting the needs of the less fortunate. That's what the church is supposed to be doing. Not to become this religious place where people worship the building more than they do God. That's what we're called to be, that kind of church. And the enemy will do all he can to prevent the mission of God that he has called us to from being carried out. And carrying out this mission in a world of chaos is a challenge. There's a message that I think is very relevant that Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus in the book of Acts, chapter 20. Now when you read this, specifically he is addressing and writing this to the elders of the church in Ephesus. So for the elders, the leadership of a church... This is critically important. But when you read it, I think it applies to every single one of us as believers as well. It says this, Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God which he, brought, he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, and Paul's writing this, he says, <clears throat> I know that after I leave, Savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them or their pet doctrines. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years, I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. Paul carried this burden in a big way for his church. And it's interesting where it says, when savage wolves will come in among you. The picture you have is a whole bunch of savage wolves, false teachers, whatever, coming in the door and sitting in here and getting your ear. Oh, if it was that difficult. Savage wolves are coming in amongst us all the time through the Internet through the radio, through the television, through YouTube. There are savage wolves out there that have access to the body of Christ like never before in history. It can be used for the greatest good, but it can bring in all kinds of false doctrine, all kinds of false teaching. And I want to caution all of us. I don't care who your favorite teacher is. I don't care how many of his sermons you've listened to or her sermons you've listened to, how many of your teachings you've heard. I don't care how successful they are. Check them out. When you hear something negative about them, just go, oh, that can't be true. Go look. None of them are preaching a pure gospel any more than I am. They're men and women who make mistakes. And we can get so enamored with the celebrity status, we don't pay attention. Savage wolves are coming in amongst us all the time. We need to discern. We have the Holy Spirit. Be careful. How many of you know personally and can sit down and talk to and ask questions of your favorite internet social media minister? Your local pastors, your local elders, we're right here. 
You can come and talk to us about anything, anytime. Correct us, rebuke us, challenge us. That's what you need to be doing. There is nobody that ever would stand in front of a group of our people that should not be being judged from the Word of God by every single one of us. You need to be doing that. The enemy can get us off track just like he can anybody else. I can do it on my own. You need to be checking us out. And I'm not saying there are great men and women of God out there on social media. I'm not, I'm not trying to throw a blanket on everybody. I'm just saying whoever it is, discern. Check it out. You know, if you get some radical nutcase who, who, who is so legalistic and pharisaical and it takes you about 30 seconds to figure out where he's coming from, don't listen to any criticism they have to say. But check them out. They will come in amongst you, even from your own number. There's the within thing. You know what? We can start getting a little bit of garbage from the savage woods, and it really kind of becomes a little favorite of ours, and we're over here spreading it amongst everybody else in here. And it may or may not be true. And it may or may not be a big deal, but it might be a really big deal. So we just need to be careful. We need to check it out. I believe that's why the way the early church gathered and fellowshiped and, and worked together as one, keeping each other accountable. And, and if you read most of the letters that Paul wrote, guess what he spent most of his time doing? Correcting churches. So it's, it's possible. And it certainly is possible here. You need to check us out. Always. Satan will use anything. Why does the traditional church not sound like the church that's being commissioned? I believe the enemy has used religion to, to put all of this stuff in such a small box that the Great Commission has been so hindered. I mean, religion and philosophy, cessationists, they're the ones that believe all the gifts passed away, or at least most of them. Well, at least the ones they don't like. They're gone. They don't happen anymore today. That's religion. There was movement throughout history where being sick became like being a martyr. You almost gloried in your illness because you were being, God had put this on you to make you a better person. According to the theology I believe and we believe as the leadership here, that's heresy. God wants to heal everybody who's paid for in the atonement. Might not make sense to you, but... That's what we believe the Word says. Check it out. He will use persecution. Rejoice in persecution when you're getting persecuted for standing up for the name of Jesus. Don't rejoice in it when you're making a fool of yourself. We can do that too. He will use counterfeit signs and wonders. Did you know that's in the Bible? And as we get closer and closer to the end times, there's going to be counterfeit signs and wonders. That's why I said a few weeks ago, just because something good, the end never justifies the means. Counterfeit signs and wonders. Wow, look at that. Did you see what happened? And everybody rushes over there, and it's fake. It won't last. And God is warning us that they're going to happen. So what do we do as Christians in the world that's filled with all this chaos? Stay focused. Stay focused. We need to just do our job. Do what Jesus has told us to do. 
Don't get caught up in all of the distractions of the world. We need to focus on the mission. It's crystal clear what the mission is. And there are more distractions, I believe, today than ever before also. And that all those distractions aren't all necessarily bad things. Priority. Prioritize. We want to be part of a group of people where the word is going to be going out accurately, leading people to the Lord. We want to have signs and wonders that are going to be confirming the word of God. We want to see miracles, healings, and deliverance. We want to see all the gifts of the Holy Spirit in action. The gifts of the Holy Spirit are given to the church for what purpose? To build up the body of Christ. We need the body of Christ built up. We want all those things. Christ is the only hope, along with his church, for the chaos that's in the world today. We need to make sure that we are a word and a power church, believing that he is going to confirm his word with signs and wonders. And we want to be able to do this wherever he has planted us right now and wherever he would choose to send us, wherever we would go. You know, people would caution us. You guys need to be careful. You know, you're going down a path. Look around. The other churches aren't doing that. We need to realize this is not a new thing God is doing. It's an old thing. It's a primitive thing. It's what the church did in the beginning. It's what we're supposed to be doing today. You know, and I'll just close with this thought. As a church, we want to use all the tools that the world has to offer. So a lot of those tools that are dangerous to allow the enemy to come in, God can turn and use them for good to disperse truth. So we want to, as a church, always be open to those new methods. New methods are fine. It's the message that has to stay the same. Let's close in prayer. Lord, I pray that uh, I pray that your Holy Spirit will use anything that I've said that is of you this morning. God, and I pray that you would not allow anything I said to hinder your work, to bring confusion into your body. Father, I pray that we would truly be that primitive church that we see in the Scriptures. Father, I pray that we would not shrink back out of fear or intimidation. But Lord, whatever we did, we would do it in love, the love of Jesus. The chaos in the world is looking for the love of Christ. God, and I pray that we would be those who would dispense that love of Christ as we receive it, as you so freely give it, that we would not be reservoirs, but we would be rivers of that love to those around us. Lord, we pray for a sharp spirit of discernment to see truth and deception for what they are. God, we pray that all that we do brings glory and honor to you. Watch over us. Give us favor in our, as we go our separate ways, even today. We ask all this, that Jesus would be glorified, his name would be lifted up. Amen.